You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I'll be honest, um, the desire to take a third day off was pretty strong, but I just, I can't do that. I think if I had maybe done a podcast on Saturday, I would have skipped today. But, I mean, it's like 80 degrees. I just took the meat out of the freezer for grilling today. I already got stuff planned for tomorrow and that plan is to do an interview today so I already have work to do for the podcast as well as doing things for the page and a whole bunch of other stuff that I have to do I was like man but again I can't do three days so what what we're gonna do we're gonna treat this like a holiday episode I do usually things on Thanksgiving Christmas and everything because I don't miss days during the season but usually they're a lot shorter so I figured what I would do today is what everybody did a long time ago which is go through the comments from the coordinators in this case probably just Patton. we'll see how long that takes um, my initial thought was well that's kind of old news but at the same time if you're listening to podcasts for breaking news you're doing life wrong twitter is for breaking news not entirely sure the purpose of facebook but it's entertaining if you're tuning into the podcast it's because you want to hear my thoughts on a particular subject so it doesn't matter if it's a couple days old i just want to tell you my takeaways from that and um that's about it Again, got a special guest tomorrow, so make sure that you don't miss that. Haven't done the interview yet, so I can't promise it's going to happen, but we're like 95% of the way there. And it's uh, something that you guys have been begging for, for, I mean, since I've been getting messages. Like, have you ever considered having this person on, or this type of person on? And um, usually the answer is, yes, I've considered it, no, I don't want to do it. But I got another request, and it's like, all right, let's just, let's just make this happen. And it is, it, granted, it's pretty cool. It's just, you know how I am with interviews. It's, it's just, it's a different thing. I feel the need to kind of take a step back and not fight people that are nice enough to come onto my show. But that's my only real form of personality is aggression. So, anyways, I'm just talking to myself. Happy Memorial Day. As always, if you are not in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, please make sure you do that, as well as liking the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Again, that's been ramping up quite a bit, as well as um, we're working on... There's a lot going on right now. It doesn't seem like it. I'm taking more days off. It seems like I'm getting lazier. I'm a lot busier lately. Um, I don't know what exactly we're doing or how it's all going to play out, but multiple things all at once are kind of take are, are going on. And I'm pretty excited about it, even though I have no idea what's happening right now. Bottom line, stay tuned and make sure you're plugged into social media, because if I'm going to tell you something, that's where you're going to find out about it. Anyways, whatever. More formalities, blah, blah, blah. I don't feel like running through all that. Check the description if you're curious about more information. Why don't we just take a break right here, and we'll launch into some stuff. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. 
I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. All right, so I want to start just from the beginning and work my way through... Um... I don't think it's really that necessary to play every single comment. I will if it becomes necessary. But the very first question was about Christian Kirksey. This is to Mike Pettin talking about recent acquisition, Christian Kirksey at linebacker. And the only real interesting thing I took from that is the fact that they didn't feel he was injury prone. And I found that surprising. Um, He even alluded to the fact that it was a little bit surprising considering how much time he missed, but they didn't feel that he was injury prone. Now, I'm assuming what that means is our doctors checked him out and found out that he's got a clean bill of health. There's nothing lingering. Therefore, there's no reason to expect him to get injured in the future, which is what that means, by the way. Uh, One of the very lazy things that people say all the time, which is incorrect, is if somebody's been hurt a lot, they're injury prone. That's not necessarily the case. The standard that I use, which I think is the correct standard, is if somebody is injury prone, they're likely to get injured in the future. Now, that doesn't mean they have to get injured in the future for them to be injury-prone, but there should be reason to expect them to get injured in the future because they're prone to injuries. Let me give you an example. Back in college, there was a situation where I was up very late. Not really important what I was doing, but let's just say it was college at Whitewater. We were walking back from a friend's house roughly 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and due to a lack of judgment, I decided a great idea as we're walking through the parking lot going back to our dorm, would be if we ran up the back of this car and launched ourselves off the front of it, like a, you know, a cool trick, without actually doing tricks. I mean, just like run up it and then jump off it. As cool as that sounded, um, all 220 pounds of me landed on my left foot, and then my knee was not exactly bent the correct direction. Bottom line is I hyperextended my knee and I tore my ACL. Now the point of this story is I probably re-injured that knee at least a dozen times. Because I tore my ACL and I never got it repaired, I just kind of walked it off basically, um, it was very prone to re-injury. It would pop out of place because the whole point of that ACL is to stabilize your knee. But because I didn't have that and the muscles around it hadn't really built up and all that stuff, the simplest little things, taking a step down, going downstairs, doing the Hulk Hogan thing, don't worry about it, my knee would pop out of place and I would fall to the ground and it would swell up and I couldn't walk for a few days. That was me being injury prone. I was prone to injuries on that knee because of the damage that was done to it. Now, as I've, I've used this before, but if you look at, for example, Aaron Rodgers, people will say that he's injury prone. If you look at the time when he broke his collarbone, that is not an example of a guy being injury prone. Here's something else to look at. Here's another way to, to gauge injury proneness. 
what percentage of the human population would have been injured in that situation? Now, for example, going back to my knee thing, out of a thousand people, how many people taking one step down would pop their knee out of place, fall down the stairs, and sit at the bottom of the stairs writhing in pain, sitting there saying, I can't stand up, I don't know what to do? Probably roughly one in a thousand, and that one would be me. Next question. How many people, with momentum going in a certain direction, and a linebacker on top of you wrapping your arms together so you can't brace your fall with all of that weight, including your weight, the momentum of running in this direction, as well as a linebacker putting his weight on you and drilling you into the ground, all of that weight landing on your shoulder, how many out of a thousand break their collarbone? 912, maybe? That's not a problem with Aaron Rodgers' body. There's no reason to expect that he's got an injury issue. Now, he used to have, like, you know, hamstring things. He'd take off running, he'd be limping. That could be an issue. But you can't look at a guy who broke his collarbone and say he's injury-prone. I mean, you can technically as far as the definition goes, but it's a useless way to use that term. If Aaron Rodgers is on vacation and he happens to be in a bad neighborhood and he gets shot and robbed... And then when the season starts, would it make sense to kind of question him as far as being injury-prone? I mean, you broke your collarbone, and then you're on vacation, and you're in a hospital for several days from getting shot. I mean, it just seems like you're hurt all the time. Should we be worried as a fan base? Uh, no. You get what I'm saying? So anyways, I feel like I've made that point. The interesting thing about Christian Kirksey is his injuries seem to be those that would be re-injurable. Or at least things that you see pop up several times. For example, a person that I find to be injury-prone would be Kevin King. When you look at a guy that keeps hurting the same area, and maybe it's one shoulder, then the next shoulder, whatever, the bottom line is there's something going on in which he's doing things that most people probably aren't going to get hurt from that. But he's getting hurt, and it keeps seemingly keeps being his shoulders. So you can look at that reasonably and say, I can expect at a higher probability than anybody else, that Kevin King is going to get injured. Aaron Jones might be another one. He's got injuries with his legs as a running back. They don't seem to be anything particularly devastating. It's not as if some 300-pound lineman hit him in his kneecap with his helmet and it shattered his knee. That would be something... Now, the consequences of that maybe down the road could mean he's injury-prone, but not necessarily the act itself. Now, again, Christian Kirksey, what are his injuries? He's had a shoulder injury and a hamstring strain. Now, maybe, again, maybe this is just a minor deal. He had a grade 2 hamstring strain in 2018. In 2019, it was a torn pec that had him out the whole year. Again, I don't know that that necessarily is an issue, but at the same time, there there is a biological component. I'm not the right person to answer these questions. I'm sure there are people who understand physiology better than I do, but there is a biological component to people hurting their hamstrings, muscles being a little bit different, right? Mike Tyson is a person that is someone that you just can't replicate, largely because of his muscles. I don't mean because he's got big ones. They're obviously very big, but if you notice how quick he is, the fast twitch fibers, it's ridiculous. That's not something you can just teach. He's an absolute physical freak. And so the bottom line is when I see torn pec and hamstring strain and shoulder injury, it just, everything about it feels like somebody that is injury prone. Now again, they they did their homework and they're looking at a guy and maybe they got specifically into it and came to the determination that based on a certain way of doing things, 
A lot of people could have injured themselves that way, but there's also a, a, a play style component, right? I'm not convinced that Kevin King has bad shoulders. Perhaps it's just his play style. But that still is a component to why we believe he could be re-injured again, unless he's coached to not do that anymore, right? Mobile quarterbacks technically are more injury-prone, even though there's nothing wrong with their bodies. It's their play style that makes them more injury-prone. So, you know, it's interesting that he said that. I just, I don't know that I necessarily believe it. Now, Aaron Jones was quote-unquote injury-prone, and he hasn't been injured in a while. Kevin King, I think, is injury-prone. He wasn't injured at all last year. So it doesn't mean he's going to be injured. I just find it hard to believe that he isn't a higher-risk person to be injured than just any random person on our team. So you know, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to the Packers. I just I don't know that I buy it necessarily. I think they're using a very fast and loose um, description of not injury-prone. Again, my assumption would be that they're looking at it and saying he doesn't have any current strains or problems that would directly mean right now he's going to be injured, but I doubt they're doing muscle fiber tests to see if he's more injury-prone as far as hamstring tears or pectoral tears or muscle tears in general. Right? Maybe some basic flexibility test or something. I don't, I don't know. But um, bottom line is I don't buy it. I, I, I want to divert here because I kind of touched on something that I was thinking about anyways. <sighs> Where, how do I say this? I want to talk about what I mentioned about Mike Tyson because I think... I think there are a lot of football players, guys like Devontae Adams, that we really, really underappreciate, and I think I do it as well. I think sometimes we get caught up in this idea that a player is basically just a component of his height, his weight, his speed, and his three-cone time, right? If you look at Devontae Adams, what is it that makes Devontae Adams so good? Well, it's his, his elusiveness, right? It's, it's this characteristic that we can put in a box, and it's something that we can find elsewhere, right? We can go into the draft and look at Devontae Adams and break that down and say, look, so-and-so can do it as well. Therefore, he can be as good as Devontae Adams, or possibly something that you could just coach. Everything Devontae does can, can technically be coached. And you can do that, and we, we can do that with everybody. But yet, we just refuse to acknowledge a massive component to the fact that we, I mean, we already know there's going to be third and fourth and fifth round guys that are just very good football players and, you know, a ton of first round players with every one of these check boxes, every one of these components, height, weight, speed, three cone time, which is agility, explosiveness, all this stuff packaged up together and they're just not very good. And I do think it's actually kind of rare. And I think what we're missing is the fact that some human beings are just different. I think that we don't really look at the artistic component of this. The fact that there is a realm of talent outside of height, weight, speed, agility, explosiveness. And it's a big part of the reason why I've been advocating for good football players as opposed to guys with traits that we can coach, because I think 99% of football can't be coached. There's a reason that, I mean, look, there's a lot of fast guys, there's a lot of big, there's a lot of 300-pound people in, in this country, in the world in general. How many of them can play offensive line? And I really thought about this when I, I, I noticed there was an, offensive or excuse me it was a running back who completely laid out a blitzing uh guy i don't know if he was a linebacker or a corner or what but he was a smaller running back who got low and literally lifted this guy off of his feet and i thought this is probably a five foot eleven hundred ninety eight pound guy how did he do that right now i'm six foot one two forty that guy would have killed me there's technique involved the exact angle of his body the time in the, the the depth in which he squatted down the angle of his body 
the explosive power outward, the angle that he hit the guy, the timing that he, everything, the minutia of the perfection of what he did is insane. And the fact of the matter is we got guys, you know, look, look at Jamal. He's a powerful runner. He's not a big back. There's bigger guys. You look at A.J. Dillon. People say that he's not as powerful as you would expect for a guy his size. But yet you got guys that are smaller like Jamal that are just absolute hammers. Again, going back to Mike Tyson and the fact that he's just a physical freak, you can't just put on the amount of muscle he has, go to a gym, get a trainer to tell you, because you can you can look at a guy and have a guy explain to you how Mike Tyson does what he does and never be Mike Tyson. Let me give you another example. Singing. Certain people just have a gift. They have an ear for it. Their ability to hear a sound and be able to replicate that sound as well as the the biological component of their, their throat and, and whatever else, that whole thing from the diaphragm up through the, the tongue and everything else, however singing works. You can only coach up to a certain point, but certain people have that extra ability. Certain people just have this ability that, that you just can't really replicate. Artists. You can teach a person how to do certain things, but I've, I've gone, to, I'm not a big art person. I've gone to, I remember field trips in Chicago to museums, and I remember being angry at some of the garbage that's in those things. But then you go into these other places where you look at something and you say, that's a photograph. And my face is almost touching the painting, trying to find a tiny little discrepancy, a, a little brush mark or something, because I swear, even though it says it's a painting, this is a photograph. And I can't find anything. I'm looking as close as I possibly... The ability that some people have is superhuman. And I think there's almost frustration on our part when we look at a guy like Henry Ruggs or something who just has all these little characteristics and we want it to translate so badly. And we don't understand how some guys like Devante, who is the most average person on the planet, his speed is average, his height is average, his, his, uh, his weight is average, but the way he plays is just different. And if you think about the way that he, you know, you think, well, anybody can just cut like that. And maybe he's a little bit better. He's got a little bit more pop out of his step or whatever. But there's so much more to what he does that he has learned to do, that he has crafted, that you honestly just can't teach. There's so much of a feel when and to what angle he cuts out this direction. How he moves his head, how he moves his shoulders, the timing of it, how he watches and waits for the body of the defender to turn just this way. And then when he breaks out of it, how he breaks, when he breaks, what angle he breaks. Everything is so perfect. And again, there's the timing of it and trying to work within the timing of Aaron Rodgers. And there's just so much here that he just feels that you just can't teach. And the the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I think we really need to start appreciating the extra ability these guys have. Because I think for some of us, we just look at it as these are just athletic people who are going out and doing athletic things. And again, we go into the draft saying, well, look, this guy's more athletic than, than Devante. He should be better. He should be a number one. I mean, he this guy runs a 4-3 and that corner runs a, a 4-5-5. This should be, he should win that route every single time. He should just win no matter what. He's faster. And it just doesn't work that way and we don't understand it. There is an artistic component to this. You look at a guy like Aaron Donald, he doesn't win because he's stronger than everybody. He's not stronger than offensive linemen. He's not necessarily even faster, although he is probably a lot faster than a lot of other guys. His ability to understand and just have a a general feel for everything, the way he feels everything, is just different. It's almost like a sixth sense. The, the how, low, how low to get, the amount of power to apply to what part of the body to read the offensive lineman, to do all these different things to be able to win. This is a guy that beats double teams, and he's smaller than both offensive linemen that he's beating. Again, 
I, I, I really believe there's 99% of what these guys do is up in their head. Because again, you can find guys that are, that are as, that are the same height and strength just walking down the street. I mean, they're rare, I'm sure. But there are people walking down the street that fit the dimensions of a guy like Aaron Donald. There are guys in the NFL that fit those dimensions that are nowhere near what Aaron Donald can do. And again, my general frustration is, is with coaches and GMs, the Packers in particular, I suppose, who put their confidence in themselves. If we get a guy, and I'm not trying to trash Rashawn, but if we get a guy like Rashawn Gary who has all the attributes, we can coach him to be like, you know, Jadavian or Zadarius or whatever. And maybe you can. And the, and the point is, if they ever get to that point where they recognize or they internalize or if it's a coaching thing or whatever it is, because obviously that's a component. Devontae had to learn these things. He didn't start off this good. We saw what, where he was at. We didn't care for him very much in the beginning. This is all learned behavior. It can be learned. And, and to the coach's credit, if you get this guy to understand it and, and get him coached up to a point where he can get the feel and the understanding of things, He's going to be a phenomenal player because of those extra attributes. It brings you to that next level. But I think even coaches and GMs sometimes look at too much of this as a boxed thing. They spend too much time looking at attribute. Again, the guy, the reason KJ Hamler was my favorite is because he was open every play. And I can't explain it because, granted, he is fast, but he's not the fastest guy in the draft class. He just has such an unbelievable understanding of how to get away from people, and he gets away from people every single play. And the point is... Whatever the artistic component is, whatever the athletic, just general, mental, feeling component that there is to football, that, that, that he just seems to understand, he already has it. This is the thing you want everybody in the draft to overcome. You want them to be able to, to acquire that. He already has it. So, anyways, again, that was just a random thought I had and when I was, you know. I just, I just saw that clip and it just didn't make sense to me. How how does that happen? And, and you think about the the mechanics of it, and and you think about even for example like martial arts, how that works, how absolutely precise everything is, and the difference between I mean you you can have a black belt teach somebody who walks in the door how to do stuff, but they're not going to do it very well because it's such a very very specific thing. I mean even boxing, the the technique of the, of how to throw a punch is, I mean the 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 years and years of perfecting just a punch. But then you think about things like, you know, jujitsu and, and the exact way to put your weight a certain way and, and grab it in an exact area. I know a lot of people laugh at uh, Steven Seagal and Aikido. Aikido is still my favorite martial art just because it's awesome. I understand Aikido people going into an MMA match are going to get absolutely annihilated. I don't care. I think it's an awesome art form. And by the way, you can laugh at Steven Seagal all you want. He would mess you up. No question about it. That guy is six foot six, and he's like an eighth degree Aikido guy. Whatever you think of Aikido, I promise you, he would destroy you. But if you, there's some videos, and I would encourage you to watch them because they're very, very cool of Steven Seagal. And, and again, I understand whatever. But how exactly precise everything is, and the way that he does stuff. Even I mean, there, there are videos of him like coaching MMA guys, and they they have such a hard time understanding the simplest little thing. Like no, 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 you got it a little lower and a little bit out and a little bit up, and and they just it just the, the tiniest little move takes repetition. You could take a week to learn one little thing. And I just don't want to understate how that plays into football. One, you know, we don't, we don't appreciate guys like Devontae or Aaron Rodgers enough. Because again, it's not just, you know, arm strength and accuracy and there you go. If you're strong enough and you're accurate enough, you'll you, you figure it out. You know, if you have the agility 
and you have the speed, you can play wide receiver. That's not true. These are just special people that were that were meant to be where they are. Devontae is one of maybe 10 human beings on the planet that can do what he does. Because it's not, and, and he's one of 50,000 people that have the same athleticism. Including people that are in the NFL that just can't do, people with more athleticism that cannot do what Devontae does. We have to acknowledge the art form in this. And, and again, it, it should help us to understand, first of all, that you can't just look at the traits and say, why aren't they better? Because, again, again, I think the traits are a very small percentage of it. There is, there is an, a, an understanding and a feel to this game that you have to acquire. It has to become second nature. And, and, and coaches even talk about that. You can't be thinking. You have to be reacting. You have to feel out this game and react, and it has to be a part of your DNA. And if that never clicks, you're never going to be a good football player doesn't matter how good of attributes you have. It doesn't matter if you're as fast as Usain Bolt, you know, or, you know, like those guys I used to create in Madden all the time that were 99 everything, you know, six foot eight, 350 pounds, wide receiver, right? It doesn't matter. I mean, you're, you're going to be, well, whatever. Yes, that guy's going to be pretty good regardless. But that's also why first round picks overall tend to be a lot better. Because at some point you have so much athleticism, you can just kind of overcome a lot of flaws. Right, same with Henry Ruggs. I said there were times when he would run terrible routes, and it didn't really even matter because he's so fast. He was still able to to compensate for that. And again, I I understand why coaches look at that and say I want that because that that at least sets that floor. But I I just think that there is there is this other component to it. And maybe you maybe you can't scout it, and that's the reason they don't bother. You can't scout that ability, especially when you get into the NFL. Even if you can dominate in college. Do you have that same ability to translate that into the NFL? Maybe that's something you can't scout, which is why you don't see it. But anyways, that was a thought I had. And if nothing else, I just want us to start appreciating these guys a little bit more. Because they're artists. They really are. And um, as frustrated as we get at, at, with guys like, um, you know, Montrevious Adams, and no, I'm not going to comment on his arrest. I don't care. Same comment as I've always made. But, y- you know, you look at a guy like Montrevious and it's like, why isn't he better? Make no mistake, he, he is everything that they drafted. He has all that athleticism. He has all that strength. He has all that stuff bottled up together, but he, it's, just, it's just not it's not clicking upstairs. Kevin King, again, he, we drafted him to be Richard Sherman. Why isn't he Richard Sherman? Because it just hasn't clicked upstairs. If it does, watch out. But that, that's, that's essentially what football is. We're waiting to see if it clicks. And generally, we give guys three years. We've done examples of people that have been, you know, six, seven, eight years before they take off. Delaney Walker, Chandler Jones, I think, is another one. These guys were bad or mediocre for the majority of their careers, and it wasn't until they basically hit their 30s where it's like, oh, I, I figured it out. I'm trying to get off this point, but I'm, I'm very interested in it. And it, it was kind of a, you know, when you have those thoughts, that kind of transforms everything that you you think about everything. This is one of them, and I'm, I'm having a hard time getting back to Mike Pettin now. But it's worth thinking about, don't you think? As far as the Rajan Gary comments, uh, at least with the first question, I don't think there's a lot there. A lot was made of it. You know, we're going to be seeing more of him. That, I mean, it's worthwhile, but I don't want to take that in the wrong direction. Was it was that a good enough segue that we're, we're back to the Mike Pettin comments now? <laughs> Did I even segue that? It's kind of an abrupt turn, but again, I got to get off it or I'm never going to get off it. Um, so we, we, we should see an increased role, but I don't think that should be surprising. He is a number 12 overall pick. We lost a outside linebacker in Kyler Fackrell, so he was now number three. Um, I, I guess we should have known that this was coming, and, and if we thought about it, probably did. So I don't know how big of news that is. Again, I just don't want to take it down the wrong direction of saying they're really, they, they, 
Mike Pettin feels like he's going to be something better or, or whatever. His comment was he needs to take a step. I mean, they haven't even seen the guy. So there's there's nothing to glean from this other than, ready or not, you need to get out there. That's basically all he said. He's hearing good things from his trainers, but that doesn't mean anything. We heard good things from his... I mean, he, he's, he's, he looks great working out because he's an athletic freak. He's, he's an athlete. I mean, that's... He was number one on Feldman's freak list. His highlight reel... The, <laughs> the disappointing thing is that his biggest highlight reels are his workouts. That might be a little bit of an unfair comment, but you know what? He still blocked me on Twitter, so I'm going to start being unfair. Yeah, I, it's like when you're a kid and your parents say, if, you know, keep crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Rashawn, if you're going to block me, I'm going to give you something to block me about. I'm going to start ragging on the guy. I've been nothing but nice to that young man. No, but again, it, it's there was nothing there. It's a nothing comment. There's no reason to tweet it, quote it, whatever. They did mention also that they want to start getting him inside. Again, I think that's going to be out of necessity. The point is they wanted to teach him one thing, get him good at it, and then move him on to new things. I think Petten is kind of stressing the fact that we don't really have time for that. We're going to need you to sub in inside as an interior pass rusher. Again, we're not switching him to defensive tackle. I, I, I don't want anyone saying, you said he wasn't going inside. Looks like he's going inside. No, no, no. I said we're not switching him to defensive tackle. If he goes to the inside, it will be as an interior pass rusher. Similar what, to what we did with Clay Matthews. And Nick Perry under Dom Capers, what we're doing under Petten with Zadarius and Preston. We're got, well, Preston didn't go inside very much, but Zadarius inside. He also said he's going to be increasing his, uh, as a necessity, Rashawn is probably going to be seeing more coverage because that was Kyler's deal and Kyler's gone. So the bottom line is it's, it's we don't have time to baby you anymore. We're going to give Zadarius less snaps, Preston less snaps. We want you going inside. We want you dropping in coverage. So the the... The training wheels are coming off whether he likes it or not. That's the biggest takeaway I can take from this. And he never really even alluded to, you know, watch out, he's going to be good. It was just, you're going to have to be because you're, you're, you're again, you're a 12th overall pick and um, we, we need your help. So get in there. The one comment that I really, really liked was um, they were talking about gap integrity and the idea of, you know, not letting people get through a gap, right? This is your assignment. You got to make sure nobody gets through there. And uh, Petten kind of goes in detail a little bit about it, but the the main crux of it was, you know, we, we, we do have assignments and all these kinds of things and how that works, but the bottom line is we need to be aggressive. And more important even than, than staying in the gap that you're assigned is beating the guy in front of you. And, I, and the reason I like that is because one of the things that I identified that's different with the Green Bay Packers, at least in so insofar as against the 49ers and whatnot, is they just got beat, and they, they looked like they didn't, and granted, they didn't keep their gaps, but if you look at, at aggression, you look at, for example, what the Bears have been able to do back in 2018, or, or the Vikings a lot of the time, or even the Packers against the Vikings or whatever, what it looks like when you win is everybody's just getting beat, everything's collapsing, and it looks like there's 18 guys on the field all rushing. When you look at the Packers against the 49ers, it looks like there's four defenders on the field. This running back could run anywhere he wants. There's so much space everywhere. And so the ability to compress and to attack and to push back and just break everything down, especially against teams like the 49ers, because again, all of this is about coordination. It's, it's, it's orchestral. Right? Everything kind of flows and there's a rhythm and there's timing and everything is very precise. And you take a guy like Kenny Clark to throw a, a center straight back on his on his head as you got a guard trying to pull across and now he can't get past and everything just starts to fall apart 
when everything starts to fall apart, everything starts to fall apart. And I think that's important. And, and there's there's a, another component as well of that Mike Pettin kind of talked about, like, you know, when you're aggressive and let's say you're out of your gap, guys have to adjust. They got to cover that gap. You know, there, there's a whole other thing that needs to take place as things are devolving. But again, that all comes back to coaching and teaching and learning and growing. And whether or not these guys will ever learn it, I don't know. But the point is, again, what we saw last year, I think, was really talented football players that just did not quite have it upstairs. And I don't mean to say that they're dumb people. I just mean what Patton is trying to express in terms of what I want from you wasn't just understood. The same way that, for example, the 49ers offensive line has an understanding. And when the 49ers offensive line has a very good understanding of what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and the Packers defensive line doesn't really, and you're just looking at really good football players, again, that can take you so far. Really good football players can can do a lot of stuff. But when you got really good athletes that don't really understand exact, precise assignments and everything else and, and working off each other, and when this guy does this, I do this, and when he goes here, I go here, and, and it's just a natural thing that you can just react to, which again is, is another part of the reason why you don't want to be so reactive in cutting a defensive coordinator. A lot of people now, they want him gone. Okay, you get rid of him, you bring in somebody else, and you try to do the same thing. It's not just a matter of scheme. Hey, it, I'm going to tell him to stand here, him to stand here, and him to do this. Once that play goes, everything starts to break down and you have to be able to react and you got to react in the way that the defensive coordinator wants you to because everything is planned for. And that takes time. And it is a somewhat of a catch-22 because it maybe it is um, Mike Pettin that's the problem. Maybe he is a problem. But, you know, again, go back to Vic Fangio. That took three or four years for him to build that up. What if they had given up on him? There never would have been a 2018 Bears. Now, granted, he's already gone, so who cares? But it, it, it just kind of gave me hope, number one, because I absolutely agree with that, that aggression is the most important thing, that being violent, being fast, being physical, that's, I mean, that's what good defenses are. You're not going to find a good defense that's finesse, at least that I'm aware of. A good defense is fast and it's violent. I mean, you, you, how many times have we seen running backs trying to run and there's nowhere to go? It's because everything is just collapsing. And, and Mike Pettin used the term, we don't want to just be lateral. And that makes sense, right? We're not just going to wait for you to come to us and then we'll just be in a good position. No, we're going to attack. You better get north and south quick because we're coming. But again, if you're going to be aggressive, then things start to break down technique-wise or, or fundam- scheme-wise, I guess, right? Rather than just waiting in my gap and not letting you come through my gap. And if we all just stay in our gap, then there's nowhere for him to go because that's not going to work. Somebody's going to win their block. The running back's going to find it. He's going to go. But again, as you become aggressive and as things start to break down, we have to be able to work with that. And it, it all this stuff just takes time. And the bottom line is it gave me hope because these are guys that don't know this stuff. It's Kenny Clark's second year. It's Dean Lowry's second year. It's Zedarius's first year. It's Preston's first year. It's Rashawn's first year. It was Amos's first year. It was Savage's first year. The Corners, it was their second year. I mean, just give these guys some time. And by the way, the improvement we saw from Josh Jackson, from Kevin King, not necessarily sure Jair took a step at all, but there was some growth from the second-year guys. Not all of them. Blake went backwards. Kenny, I think, went backwards a little bit, although at the second half of the year, Kenny Clark was just an absolute animal, which, again, should get us a little bit excited. Maybe it's Maybe it clicked. Maybe it clicked for Kenny. Maybe it clicked for Kevin. That's all we're waiting for. We're just waiting for that click. And 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 the other thing, we got to stop acting like this was a bad defense. It was bad at times, but this was also an unbelievably dominant defense at times. 
So there's stuff that needs to be worked on and, and refined, and, and they've had a lot of time to go over it and work through it and understand it, and they're going to have more time this year to work through it and understand it and play through it and study and all that stuff, and we're just waiting for those little things to click. Right, so Darius is one of the best pass rushers in football. We just need him to get a little bit of a better understanding of what to do during, you know, when we're teams are running against us. And it's not even every team because, again, the Packers' defense was great against the run for most teams. But certain teams running certain schemes with certain levels of talent, it just, you got to get your understanding up to that next level. And that's going to take some time, and, and there's reason to be, to be optimistic about it. The other really important thing that he mentioned, which is true, and I think, again, even more so, is the fact that, as as Petten said, there is a stronger commitment to the run with this team, so they're going to have more opportunities to practice it. Remember what I had said, and some of you are newer listeners, but there was a comment made, I think it was by Ryan Grant. He was on with Aaron Nagler talking about whatever. And um, he said he was shocked because he went over to the Washington Redskins. And I believe that's when Kyle Shanahan was there. Either way, it was, it was a Shanahan, whether it was Kyle, Mike, whatever. Maybe both. But he had gone over there and he said he was stunned at the amount of time and effort and energy they put into running the ball. The amount of drilling and training over and over and over. Again, similar to martial arts, right? It's down to the minutia. And he said he was stunned because Mike McCarthy literally never practiced running the ball. Like, they would run... But it was just kind of a general, like, I used to joke with a friend of mine, like, you just call it the run play. Like, I don't know, just block this guy and you, your job is to just run. Like, it, it, there wasn't any, and, and again, this isn't just being flippant. Ryan Grant said so. They just didn't practice it. They didn't drill it. Like, they, they ran and practiced, but it wasn't drilled. It wasn't about getting that understanding and, and really getting the offensive lineman and the rhythm and everything just down pat. Matt LaFleur is going to be drilling over and over and over, and that's going to give our defense opportunities to learn. And again, the people we got beat by are, are guys that are run with offensive coordinators and head coaches similar to Matt LaFleur that are going to be demanding the same kind of stuff. And they're going to de- demand that guys like Wagner and Turner and Lindsley and Jenkins and Bakhtiari, granted this isn't the best running offensive line in the universe, but as they get better and as they drill this and as they start to understand it, the defense will begin to understand it. And they're starting to get beat a certain way. And they start to hear from Patton, look, when he's doing that, you got to do this. And that, that is a really good thing. And it's great that we've already got a great group of pass rushers. Because now we, we have a, a offense that's going to be running the ball much more. You know, the, the Packers defense has very rarely been very good against the run. We've had some good pass rushers in the past. We've had some great corners. Traditionally, though, when the Packers get embarrassed, it's on the ground, whether it's mobile quarterbacks, running the ball, or both. And I think a lot of that really does have to do with the fact that this offense is largely just Aaron Rodgers dropping back and throwing it. And they've gone up against offensive lines that are entirely built to protect the quarterback, not run the ball, and running backs that, for the most part, have been largely mediocre. And really, when we're talking about getting better at things and needing to drill and train and learn and and all that stuff. And the best time to do that is in practice and rehearse this stuff. And when you're not doing it very often, and when you are doing it, you're winning because you're just a lot better than your offense. And then you go up against a team that is drilling like the Washington Redskins or, or the 49ers or whoever it is at the time that, that has this sort of mentality of, of grounded pound or Dallas for that matter, you're just going to get annihilated. And so it doesn't automatically mean they're going to be good, but if they're going to get good, it's because they have this rehearsal and something. Again, we're waiting for that thing to click. And if that thing's going to click, it's going to click after X amount of times of learning it and drilling it, and, and finally it, it clicks. 
And again, that's going to happen the more this, the more they train for this. So, reasons for optimism. Another big comment that a lot of people are, are excited about are the Kingsley Kiki comments. Um, he was asked, essentially, who's somebody that gets you excited. Now, I don't know if this is just off the top of his head or what, because the, the comment was about Tyler Lancaster, and he went, well, the, you know, there's a guy kind of right next to him. But his specific comments was, toward the end of the year, it was really starting to click, and that's sort of my theme today, so I'm just going to keep using that. But that's essentially what he said, and he went through a bunch of terminology and things that he asked his guys to look for that he was starting to recognize. And I, I, I do think that that is Mike Pettin saying he could see it start to click, and, and it's almost reminiscent of the uh, run-the-table run comments. If you remember the run-the-table comments, it was at a pretty dark period for the Green Bay Packers. And essentially, Aaron Rodgers was explaining to us that he saw something click. And he went on to say he believed that we could run the table, and we did. And whether or not this ends up clicking for Kingsley Kiki, I went to check his PFF, and and it it didn't necessarily show up in terms of production. Um, He had one total pressure the entire year out of 107 total snaps, 56 um, pass rush snaps, so that percentage is horrible. And that pressure came in week five. It was his third game that he played in week five. He didn't have a single pressure, not a sack, hit, or hurry the rest of the year. But again, I, I, I think what Pettin is alluding to is, is not something you can find on the stat sheet. You know, Pettin is looking for nuance, stuff that even PFF and their grades can't pick up on. He's, t- he's coaching them, telling them, look, when, it, when this happens, I need you to see this, I need you to do this. And they read a landscaping job, and the, uh, the lady that owned it, she would pop up once in a while and tell me I was doing a bad job. And she would always say, I need you to see what I'm seeing. And, you know, you'd get the string trimmer out, and she'd look along the side and say, see, it's it's too long over there. Go do that again. Now, granted, she was full of it. And I proved that several times because there were times I'd take the string trimmer over there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I see it. And I would not cut a single thing. And I'd say, how's that? Is that better? Oh, yeah, that's much better. See, that's what I need from you. That's what I need you to see what I'm seeing. She was... Anyways, I don't think that's what Pettin's doing. And I, I think... Kingsley is starting to see what, but there's still a long way to go, right? Just because you're starting to understand the basic fundamental things of what to look for, when to do what and where and how and who and all that stuff, that's cool, but there's still a whole other level. And when we're talking about one pressure all year, and we're talking about he was starting to show these things by the end of the year, and we're talking about, geez, I mean, no sacks, hits, or hurries. In the last four games, he had four tackles. Although he didn't miss a single tackle all year, so that's good. Nine tackles, no misses. Five of those were stops. And the one good thing to note is that the best game he had all year was against San Francisco. So in a in a game in which everybody was terrible, Kingsley stepped up and was the top guy. Also, the guy's 23 years old, so, I mean, hopefully it pans out. I love when you get super young guys that are really, really talented. Now, he's not really, really talented, but if he becomes it, that's exciting. So, again, I'm not putting too much into that. I know a lot of people want to get excited about it. It's 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 really not much different than Montrevious Adams, right? Everybody was excited about Montrevious and him taking that step, and we'll see what happens. Um, I think everyone is now settled in on Montrevious is probably not going to be that guy. Maybe he will, but probably not. And I, th- I think the odds are low that Kingsley is a high-end contributor. Hopefully he can be a starter. Because, again, the, the other part of this comment was the fact that um, – we need guys to step up now. We need people to fill in. Um, 
you know, we got guys like Kenny doing too much and we got guys like Dean doing too much and we need to give them breaks and be able to use them at more optimal times and not just keep them in there all game because nobody else can do anything. Right, Mike's gone and, and nobody really came in and filled those shoes. And so um, I do think we're going to start seeing a lot more Kingsley. I do think he will be ahead of Montrevious. Again, Montrevious has been one of the worst defensive tackles in football for a while. So I'm kind of over that. Um, but we'll see. I mean, and, and he was never really that bad. He had two bad games. One of them was against Seattle, but he only played three snaps. So that basically doesn't even count. The other one was the other game against San Francisco where everybody got whooped. And he was in there for eight snaps. Those are the only two bad games, and again, one of them doesn't even hardly count. He was hardly on the field, so I would say he had one bad bad game, and that was against San Francisco, which is, you know, one of the better offensive lines in football. Outside of that, he was above average or average just about every game. He had one, two, three, four-ish good games. Uh, second game against Detroit, Carolina, the Chargers, and Oakland. Again, nothing that really shows up on the stat sheet, but it's it's still something. So I'm not putting a lot of stock in it, but. He is kind of a guy that we're probably going to be seeing a lot more of, and hopefully he can rise to that occasion. You had to know when I said this is going to be a short episode, this is going to take forever. And I'm, I'm, I might have to cut this interview short because I, we're not even halfway through the interview. I, I think we'll do one more comment and then we'll, we'll move on. And, and Same thing I did last time. If there's anything interesting beyond that, I'll bring it up some other time. But this is, this is taking forever. I think as a final point, I'll highlight, um, you know, I've been stressing the fact that nobody's really been here in this defense for more than two years, but uh, he made a really interesting point about how once they reloaded and once Brian Gutekunst went out and got Pett and the guys that he needed, if you think about it, and maybe this is something to be concerned about for the offense because they're trailing by a year, but it, it's something to think about anyways. As I've been saying, when you get in there for the first year, you work with what you've got, and what he had was an old Dom Capers crew. And so he ran it to the best of the ability. He ran his scheme as best as he could, but it had to be a little bit of a hybrid because you don't have your guys. What he said is, once we went out and got the guys that I wanted, the Darius Preston, whatever, so that I can run my system, we changed everything. Now, it's not a complete change, but suddenly I can kind of get rid of this stuff that you know I had to put in because of the guys we have, and I can add in this other massive part of my playbook and because of that, I mean, everything plays off of it. You can look at it and say, okay, so you got a different pass rusher. How does that affect the corners? It changes everything. So in a sense, although this is guy's second year, it's, it's kind of like maybe one and a half years. There's some terminology and certain general things that they're accustomed to. But especially if you look at a guy like Blake Martinez, a lot changes up front. And I think the more change toward Mike Pettin, the more... Blake kind of was isolated. I, I've mentioned that before. Blake was not a bad linebacker until Petten got in here, and it just seems like he's not a great fit. And I wish we would have got somebody that was a great fit, but that's a separate issue. The point is, in a sense, this is almost the official year two for everybody. Last year was the introduction into Mike Petten's real defensive scheme and what he wants and kind of got the training wheels on, right? This is where everybody that's here is basically the same as last year. Everybody understands everything. Everybody knows what's expected of them. We're just building off of what we did last year. And the great thing is, again, as a final note, this was not a bad defense. It was a good defense that had a lot of little flaws that sometimes really blew up into big things. But if all we have to do is work on A, B, and C as opposed to implementing an entire defensive scheme with new players. I mean, we got rookies. We got second-year guys. We got guys that have been with a bunch of other teams. We got free agents. We got all this little mishmash of everything. This year, everybody's here. Everybody knows everybody. 
Everybody knows what's expected of of not just themselves, but of the guy guys next to them. And we're just going to build. We're going to this is this is the 200 level class now, as opposed to the 101 stuff, right? We're we're going to that next level. And as much as he talked about you know keeping it simple because of not having the in person meetings and all that stuff, the fact of the matter is they are going to have the ability to kind of ramp it up a little bit. Right. Yeah. Okay. In the beginning, we got to keep it simple, right? We got to get our bodies in tune and just get used to the regular flow of things. But by halfway through the season, the expectation is we're really need to start building on this. We need to really start growing. And I I don't want to forget that picture of, of of Vic Fangio. That was a pretty bad defense when he got there. And by year three, I think is when it really started to take off. And I think it was year four or five when they had by far the number one defense in football. And the other, I don't know how many times I can say final point, but the other exciting thing about it, it's frustrating now because when I look at the roster from, let's just say, a PFF standpoint, the roster is better than a lot of rosters. The talent isn't necessarily, or it's a bad way to put it because that's what I mean by being good is talent. The production based on how much talent is is low. When you have one of the best pass rushers in football, um, when you have one of the best interior players in football, when you have a solid corner group and a solid safety group, I understand there's there's some things lacking, but again, we can go through the list of every other team, and there's a lot of stuff lacking, and there are a lot of teams that have a lot less that are doing better. But the, the great thing is, if we're going to talk about Vic Fangio, and we're going to talk about what he did in Chicago, and how he was able to get guys to where they were, you got to have guys that are actually really talented, because you can only take some people so far. If Khalil Mack wasn't on that team, if, if Kyle Fuller, as much as he's not great in his current scheme, but if he wasn't there, if, if all these guys, Eddie Jackson and Adrian Amos and uh, Trevathan, if you don't have guys with the ability to get to that next level, Akeem Hicks, if you don't have those guys, you're never going to have the 2018 defense. As much as Vic Fangio and everything just kind of came together nicely, the point is we've got a defensive coordinator that knows what it takes to get a defense there. We've got the pieces in place to be able to get the guys where they need to go. I'm not predicting we get there. I'm saying the pieces are in place, if this can ever click, to have an elite defense. It's there. Whether we see it or not, I don't know, but everything is there. If you're going to put your money down on which defense is going to become the next great defense, I'd have to go through the full list, but I don't know too many that stand out more than the Green Bay Packers when you look at the youth, when you look at the upside, when you look at everything that that is where it is. They've got all the pieces they need. They're just learning the defense. We're kind of just getting into year two. This would be a pretty good bet. So, anyways, I got to get going. I got to start my uh, interview for tomorrow's episode. So, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye bye. <laughs>